Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen's Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast for those wanting to connect with the people and practices of far-flung ranches and dairies throughout California through hearing stories from and learning more about the families of cattle country. The term wildland-urban interface, or WUI, has come up many times in this series, should you be a regular listener. Now, for the uninitiated, uh, this is from Wikipedia, the wildland-urban interface is a zone of transition between wilderness, unoccupied land, and land developed by human activity an area where built environment meets or intermingles with a natural environment. Human settlements in the Wui are at a greater risk of catastrophic wildfire. With a growing population and increasing interest in rural living, the Wui is growing. In regard to wildfire, the increased size of the interface accounts for increased interaction with wildfire. California is losing more structures and more lives to fire at an increasing clip, and many of these structures exist in areas and terrain that is difficult to defend. Now, this is the terrain of cattlemen. In my time producing this podcast, I found that cattlemen provide pertinent insight to managing the interface between our wildlands and urban areas. Now, this is a bit of a rant. Our wildlands exist in a triad of wilderness, agriculture, and urban areas. Now, I'd argue all are equally vital. It's important to accept that humanity and wilderness don't easily coexist. I think many can agree that we don't want wolves in the suburbs but can also agree that California's remaining natural places should be preserved, ideally improving and preserving those spaces to the condition of centuries ago. Now, the fact is that the environment has been inextricably affected by both urban expansion and agriculture. Now, let me sum up. Movements tend to get myopic in regard to their endgame. These subjects are incredibly complicated. They require passionate and learned people to be addressed. These people also need to be collaborative and open-minded. Weather-related catastrophes, whether flood or fire, are occurring at an increasing clip, and it's not an anomaly. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Stephanie Larson, County Director and Livestock Range Management Advisor and Director of University of California Cooperative Extension. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. I'm Stephanie Larson. I'm the Livestock and Range Management Farm Advisor for the University of California Cooperative Extension. I provide education and research-based information to livestock producers and rangeland owners and managers in Sonoma and Marin counties. I would say that in general, rangeland management, depending on the ownership and the outcomes and the goals of that land, it is being managed, but it's gonna it's being managed in a sense that Maybe some goals aren't attainable or we're not clear on the possibilities of what we could do with that land. Your experience over time, would you say that that fire behavior is intensifying in the area over time? Like in the last, what I know is that in the last five years, that Northern California has had three of the worst wildfires ever. Is that, is, is that true? Is it, is, is it intensifying for some reason? We're definitely seeing more intense fires And I think the reason partially of that is that we're seeing less management of rangelands. We've kind of gone away from uh, prescribed fire. We've removed grazing as part of our tools to manage our our rangelands and our forest lands. And so what we're seeing is an encroachment of more brush or shrub-like species. We might have good management of our fine fuels, our grasslands, but when it comes to areas of, of brush, or interfaces with the forest is that those areas have been less managed. 
So we have turned away from doing active management on those lands. I was not aware of this. Why, why has prescribed burns and grazing gone down? So those two tools have gone down because there's been this perception that, for instance, that grazing is, is bad, it's not good for, for the land, and so we've removed grazing. Certain agencies don't prescribe grazing. They don't think it's a good tool to use. And then with prescribed burning, we've built too many homes into areas such as the wildland urban interface, so the WUI. And so prescribed burning is a concern. There's a concern that it'll get away. People are concerned about the smoke. And so we we have kind of turned away from those two main tools, grazing and burning, as a way to manage our rangelands. I think it's really, the WUI is really interesting to me because I think it, it kind of Basically, when we talk about ranching, a lot of times they're in remote areas, right? And, you know, like I said, the purpose of this podcast is to explain how, you know, they're on the front lines in a way. The WUI is just basically where those two things come together. I live in Sacramento. So when there's a big wildfire, it gets smoky outside and people are complaining, you know, but at the same time, it's like now buildings are, are being destroyed. A lot of them. Were you active in this role in 2017 during the Sonoma Complex fire? Absolutely. Before uh, we had any fires in Sonoma County, I basically worked with livestock producers, helping them to implement grazing and doing different styles of grazing. Once we had the 2017 fires, it became much more important to get that message out about how we need to manage these working landscapes, these areas that are grasslands, rangelands, the forest. We can't not manage them. And we saw that intensity come through with the Tubbs and the Nuns fire, where it ripped through areas of high brush encroachment, and it the winds carried it into areas of what we call the Wooey, and we lost over 5,000 structures in that fire because we had built into areas of high brush encroachment. And that, I mean, that tends to get people's attention pretty quick when structures are lost, and lives are lost as well. I was explaining earlier that my my existence is kind of to merge. Like if there's a Venn diagram of ag people, non-ag people, like I'm I'm supposed to like, you know, to bridge that. But then there's also that other level that would be considered education or policy. I know that you are a big proponent of agritourism and the importance of it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, I think it, a lot of it depends on which, where the county is and, and the clientele you're serving. So in Sonoma County, we are in a rural urban county that's kind of a blend. And so we get a lot of tourists here. And so it's this idea of how do we educate tourists and the general public about the importance of agriculture in Sonoma County from a perspective of, you know, enhancing um, marketability of commodities and the county, but also to look at how do we have agriculture to help us keep us safe and address things like ecosystem services. So, for example, managing our rangelands and so that we reduce fire intensity, manage the rangelands so we increase water capture, we don't have flooding, and then keeping those landscapes just really aesthetically pleasing, which attracts much more tourism to the county. Also, you know, a big part just in in dealing with ranching through the podcast, a big overarching theme also is legacy, right? And a lot of ranchers are kind of like, I could just sell the land and leave. They do it for different reasons. Like they do it because it's part of what their family's done for a long time. And a lot of them want to pass it on. I was reading that you were instrumental in 
creating the USDA Beginning Farmer and Rancher Program for Kids. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So what was the motivation behind that? And what does it, what is it exactly? And then what's the motivation behind it? A lot of it is, is trying to get young and aspiring beginning farmers and ranchers to stay in Sonoma County, which is challenging. But it's important that we continue this ongoing legacy of local food production. And so helping folks to understand of what it means to run a business. When folks are ranching, it is a business. It's their livelihood. Uh, Sonoma County ranchers tend to have to have second jobs as well to maintain that, that lifestyle. And it's not a rich lifestyle. It's one of of heritage and of caring for the land. And so we want to encourage the generations to pass on to maintain that that legacy in our county. I always say, um, I've never said it on a podcast, but I say it in in speaking with people, ranchers in general kind of have like the boss hog problem. Like people assume that it's a certain kind of lifestyle. And then and the funny thing is that ranchers love Yellowstone, that, you know, the show. And I'm like, there's a helicopter in like every shot. It's just funny to me that I think a lot of people think it's a lot different than it is. And again, these common misconceptions. Can you speak just a little bit about the importance of cattle grazing in the wildland and and what they do exactly? Because I know that in doing this job that like, say, there's horses or wild horses and wild horses. I would assume that everybody would love wild horses, but actually they're kind of a, a problem, but they eat differently than cows eat. Um, So can you explain uh, what the benefits of cattle grazing in these environments? Absolutely. So what we're seeing now is is folks are become more aware of using grazing as a tool to manage their vegetation. So we have been working with landowners. We've been working with homeowners associations to implement grazing into areas where they can manage their vegetation. So what what people initially think about is goats. So thinking about the goat, the goats that are grazing the brush or maybe bringing in sheep as well. But where I see cattle is, is the real critical piece is more that long-term grazing. So we might bring goats and sheep in initially to reduce any kind of brush encroachment. And then the long-term would be to work with landowners to bring cattle producers in to graze that land for more of the sustainability of the land. Because what we're seeing is we've done research looking at fires over the last 10 years, 20 years, and looking at fires that had high structural damage and fires that had high acreage damage. And what was the vegetation prior to the fire? And then over time, what's the vegetation now looking at it? And what we're seeing is is that we're returning back to the same areas that we were, same brush encroachment, same uh, ladder fuels. And so cattle is that long-term sustainable grazing animal because they like to eat grasses, they'll eat some brush. And so they're they're easier to manage in a sense from a long-term perspective. And so I see them as our tool for more resilience in the future. I think it's funny because I live in the suburbs around Sacramento that sheep and goats are often used. I think they just, in a way, kind of have better PR than the cows do for some reason. I don't know why, because people like see them and they're like, yes, they're exactly. doing good work. But then, you know, people, I don't, I still don't understand uh, the distinction, but I think it is interesting that they are different kinds of tools for different kinds of things. What we're finding is that um, we're getting more, more in tune with what the different grazers eat. So goats typically do like brush, the sheep more the forbs, and then the cattle are more of the grass, the finer fuels, and will eat brush as well. And so the combination of all three is a really great way to manage. But for a long sustainable, we want to bring in more cattle, uh, work with the landowners. We're trying to, to work on 
developing grazing collaboratives, whereas you're next door and you've got cattle and I've got some land that needs to be grazed. It's the open gate policy. It's like, what is it going to take for you just to open your gate, allow your cattle to come over to my property and graze? Whether it's no exchange of money, whether you pay me to graze or the the, uh, cattleman pays a lease. So it's all three of those options. We're working with folks to increase grazing throughout the county to help reduce our fire fuels and to achieve other uh, resource goals. In my reading, it seems like a given, you know, the Forest Service, there's the Great Fire of 1910. The Forest Service, especially after World War II, got a, a bunch of resources to put out every fire. The result was that a, a whole bunch of fuel was built up over time. Is that something that we're still kind of fixing and battling and mitigating or are we catching up or how does it look? We are still seeing that. That's like I was saying that the research we're looking at is that we're not recognizing that this vegetation grows back. And so we had this kind of policy or just practice of not managing some of our public lands and or our, our private lands, maybe they were absentee landowners. And so that land reverts back to, to heavy brush encroachment. We might have some trees coming in. And so it has high uh, potential for fire, uh, more severe fires. We're not learning or we're not getting a long-term plan of, okay, we just burned. This vegetation is going to come back. How are we going to maintain it? And how are we going to achieve more of our resource goals by using either prescribed fire or grazing to maintain that land into a, a better ongoing landscape? With the efforts that you're you're working on, when I'm speaking to people, is that we we have an idea of how things are historically, but not necessarily how things look in the future. And with the work you're doing, it seems that you are concerned about the future and kind of how we're doing. How, how does it look? Are, are we moving in the right direction? I think we are moving in the right direction. I think it took, sadly, it took Sonoma County to have several catastrophic fires for people to to recognize that we need to manage our vegetation. We can't just lock it up and it'll be just fine. What we're seeing is that people are more in tune to grazing. They're getting used to cattle. Uh, we'll hear things like, well, they're big and scary and have big teeth, and which makes you smile, but then it gives you that opportunity to go, okay, well, now I have a chance to educate you on how we work with um how we can work with these cattle. And it also gives us an opportunity to work with the livestock grazers to say, okay, your cattle are going to be grazing in a a public area, on a a public park. We need to make sure that you have gentle cattle. They're not going to be, have any incident where they might charge the the hikers or different things like that. And so it's been a, a really good opportunity to educate on both sides on how do we bring cattle into a more public setting and to use them as a tool to manage our vegetation. In my experience, I've never, I've been around a lot of cows of all sorts. They're very, very sweet for the, I mean, for the most part, all, I mean, I haven't had any experiences. Some of the, you know, bulls can be a little bit, you know, you just give them their space. But that's funny to me. I was taking pictures one time, I think it was at UC Davis. They had a a feed truck going through. And so I was taking pictures of the feed truck coming. So I was standing right next to the gate and I had a cow and I didn't see it coming. And it just walked right up to me and licked my face. I will be out in some of the regional parks and just to kind of get an idea of what the, the hikers or the, the visitors are thinking. And I'll ask them what they thought about the cattle. And many a times, especially if there's a cow-calf out there in the on the park, the people are really excited to, to see the, the calves, to, to look at the babies. And my concern is, is that they want to get too close to the, the calves. And if they do, then mama's going to get 
interested in what they're doing. So I took my range class out to one of the parks and we walked around and we stopped and we were looking at a mom and her calf and I could tell by her behavior we had stayed too long and she was getting nervous. And I said, okay, fair enough. It's time for us to move on. But I never once felt threatened by that cow. It just, she had had enough of us staring at her calf and it was time. So I think we're getting to where we're you know, no rancher wants to have a wild cow that they have to deal with either. And so typically, I think folks are working with good breed stock and ones that are safe around the public, safe around their workers. And so it's becoming an opportunity to educate folks about the importance of having cattle grazing on our public and private lands. So one thing I started after of the fires that came was an opportunity to try to get more grazing to happen on on both public and private lands. So I started what I call Match.Graze, and it's an online service. I'd like to call it a dating service. It's for landowners that could go ahead and put where their land is all over the state and what they are hoping to do with that land, what their goals are, the size, if it's you know grassland, if it's rangelands, forest lands. And then in turn, I have livestock producers putting up what we would call their profiles. So I'm a cattle producer, I'm a goat producer, I'm a sheep producer, and I'm throughout the counties, different counties in California, and I'll provide a service. And I'm very happy to say that we've had several successful matches. And so where livestock producers have had the opportunity to take their grazing animals to those properties and graze for specific goals of the landowner. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really great. We also have um, my own little MAGA that I like to push out. It's called Make America Graze Again. (laughs) And so it's been kind of a a fun opportunity to get people to, you know, obviously think of another MAGA saying, but to put grazing in there and and then to talk about Match.Graze as a dating service for cows and and land. And it makes people smile and it makes people more in tune and and to better understand what grazing is. And that is is a tool to help achieve our, our resource goals, whether it's for reducing fire or if we're grazing vernal pools to um, graze against invasive species or in just in general is to graze our animals to provide a local food source for our community. Yeah, I mean, also, I know ranchers a lot of times are they're looking for food for the, you know what I mean? They're, they, it's, it's great for them. It's, it's kind of uh, everybody wins. Right. And what I'm finding is, is I'm working with a variety of different beef producers. So the ages vary. And so what I find with more of the, the older traditional type beef producers, they're wanting to graze their animals to gain weight because that's the business they're in. They're, they're producing a, a local food source. They want them to gain as efficiently. They want to keep their animals healthy. And that's what I would call the traditional grazers. Then we have the, the targeted grazers who are either not paying for rent or getting paid to graze for a specific type of resource goal, where we see this in in wetlands and vernal pool management, where we're paying them to graze these vernal pools and remove the invasive grasses that are impacting the vernal pools. And then we have more of this community-type grazing that I was mentioning earlier, where we have neighborhoods that maybe I have a half an acre and you have an acre and there's 10 acres down the road and we just move the cattle from place to place to place and we have this community-type grazing. So we keep our community safe. We're using our local animals. They're not trucked anywhere. and Like lawnmowers. They're like lawnmowers in a sense. But it also... We can talk about things like they're also sequestering carbon, they're reducing you know, the need for any kind of herbicides to control invasive species, and it's just bringing the community together to better understand. And I think through all of these efforts, what I've found is that 
the residents of Sonoma County have begun to embrace grazing as a management tool for our rangelands. As they should. Yes. Well, thank you again for letting me come and bother you. You're very welcome. And um, I hope it wasn't too painful. No, it's great. Anytime I can see Now, if you have some land and a desire for some ovine landmowers or have some cattle looking for greener pastures, visit www.match.graze.com. I'll include the link in the podcast description. The website is uh, well-designed and quite intuitive. For our rancher listeners, our next series will be involving predators. If you'd like to share your struggles or successes, email me at ryan at cowcattle.org. Thank you for listening.